Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. How's everybody this morning? So I'm a nervous wreck, okay? I don't know if y'all get nervous when I get up here or not, but I, I get nervous. <laughs> I get nervous. You're always afraid what you might say that you didn't mean to say and, or something you left out. I think a couple of times back when I spoke, I said something from up here. I didn't even realize, you know, people kind of giggle, laugh, you think, oh, I don't, that wasn't even supposed to be funny. And when, they, when, you, when nothing's supposed to be funny and they're laughing, you have to kind of check yourself. Later, you know, I was told that I, what I said, I said, yeah, that is funny. Because I didn't mean to say that, you know. So it's kind of, it's embarrassing, you know. Felt like the a third monkey up the ramp to Noah's Ark. You know, it's just, it's embarrassing. So, anyhow, hopefully I won't, I won't say nothing like that today. Appreciate the privilege of being able to share with you this morning. So what I'm going to share today is, my message is called, The Warrior and the Poet. You know, we live in confusing times. Things that used to be like common knowledge that everybody knew, everybody was settled on with most of the culture, now is being challenged like never before. We see this more and more every day through our media. We see it when it comes to sexuality and morality. We see this confusion going on and on and on. And we live in a time when some people are confused about the life of an unborn child, or at least they say they're confused, whether it should survive, whether it shouldn't. Confusion about a person's gender or their sexuality. People who are drawn to sexual relations of the same sex for various reasons. Those who can't figure out if they feel like a man or a woman from day to day. There's a lot of confusion going on. You know, we can shake our heads, we can laugh it off if you want, but this is not going away. This has been in the making for a very, very long time, and it's Satan's plan. You know, to get to this level of depravity and confusion, we've accepted many things over the course of time. Have we just kind of accepted them? Kind of, man, that's, that's weird. That's weird stuff over there. We've, as a culture, have gotten away from the proper and, he- and healthy stereotypes that will hold society together and make us prosperous and civil. I've got an article here, part of an article, and it talks about what are gender roles. It says, gender roles in society means how we're expected to act, speak, dress, groom, and conduct ourselves based on our assigned sex. For example, girls and women are generally expected to dress in typically feminine ways and be polite, accommodating, and nurturing. Men are generally accepted, expected to be strong, aggressive, and bold. Every society ethnic group and culture has gender role expectations, but they can be very different from group to group. They can also change in the same society over time. Keep that in mind right there. They're stating this as a fact that, that these gender roles can change in any given society over time. For example, pink used to be considered a masculine color in the United States, while blue was considered feminine. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, That's what they're saying. A stereotype is widely accepted judgment 
or bias about a person or group, even though it's overly simplified and not always accurate. Stereotypes about gender can cause unequal and unfair treatment because of a person's gender. This is called sexism. This article says there are four basic kinds of gender stereotypes, personality traits. For example, women are often expected to be accommodating and emotional, while men are usually expected to be self-confident and aggressive. Domestic behaviors. For example, some people expect that women will take care of the children, cook, and clean the home, while men take care of finances, work on the car, and do the home repairs. Stereotypes and occupations. Some people are quick to assume that teachers and nurses are, and, are women, and that pilots, doctors, and engineers are men. And physical appearance, even. For example, women are expected to be thin and graceful, while men are expected to be tall and muscular. Men and women are also expected to dress and groom in ways that are stereotypical to their gender. Men wearing pants and short hairstyles, women wearing dresses and makeup. Now, some of what is being said here is true. That is true. And it goes on about exaggerated stereotypes. This come off the Planned Parenthood website. This is their website, what's on there. Now, whenever you mix truth with falsehood, you get confusion, don't you? That's been going on for thousands of years. Satan started it with Eve. You ain't going to surely die. When you mix truth with falsehood, you get confusion. Yahweh's not the God of confusion. But Satan is the liar from the very beginning and would actually use some truth to promote his lies. He, he tried to use confusion with Yahshua when, when Yahshua was being tempted. Even, even Yahshua, he, 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 you know, if he was tempting Yahshua, surely he's going to try to tempt us with confusion, isn't he? Satan wants to blur the lines between men and between women. You know, it's kind of weird, though. Yahweh has made us quite differently, hasn't he? Why are we messing with what Yahweh has created, what he has instituted? We're, we're, we're quite different physically, mentally, and emotionally. These differences is what makes a marriage complete, what makes this union complete. When Adam was created, Yahweh knew that Adam wasn't complete. So he created Eve and made the union complete. What, what Adam was lacking, Eve was able to provide. And because we live in a fallen world, I'm, I'm saying there's, there's been great atrocities done to women, great atrocities done to our fellow man and, and to our children. Over the years, bad things have happened. But the way to correct is not getting rid of certain stereotypes, but by living by the examples and the instructions we read about in the Bible. You need to be living by the examples that Yahshua laid out. So what is it that we need today? We need warriors. We need warriors to take a stand against the culture that wants to homogenize everyone. That's exactly what this culture is doing. It's just trying to homogenize all of us. We need men to get out of the man cave and to realize that we're in a battle. And this complacency and this thirst for worldliness is what got us to this place that we're in today. We need men like David who was a man after Yahweh's own heart. 
Was David perfect? No, we can read about his flaws, can't we? But how did he get the title, a man after Yahweh's own heart? How did he get that title? How did he get the title, apple of Yahweh's eye? How did, you know, you, th- you read about that, and you say, man, huh? he's kind of, I mean, he's good in some ways, but other ways he's really bad. We all remember the story, don't we, of David and Goliath? It's a story that, that even if you don't go to church, you know the story. That's used in, in business, where this big business is considered to be like Goliath, and this little bitty business is like, like David, you know? And so you see, you see this all, all over not just in church, but the story depicts, Goliath depicts everything that we don't like about men. He too was a warrior, wasn't he? He was boisterous. He was prideful. He was full of himself. And he taunted the armies of Israel. He taunted them. He was like a bully. He was confident in his size. My calculations, my equations are right. It says he was nine foot nine inches tall. And you take the span and all, and you convert it over. That's pretty tall. He's confident in his warrior abilities also. Says the head of his spear weighed 15 pounds. Now, I'm not a spear thrower, but that seems kind of heavy. You know, a 15-pound head of a spear, that seems kind of heavy. Says his scale bronze armor weighed 125 pounds. That's probably how much David weighed. He says he was a youth. He was young. His confidence, Goliath's confidence, was made, uh, made him defiant against everything that was good and everything that was right. He was, he was stuck on himself. <clears throat> David, at the time of his encounter with Goliath, he wasn't considered a warrior. He was considered a shepherd. He was young, still tending his father's sheep. He more than likely had... It's a very good possibility he had never even seen a battle before. But his father sends him and says, hey, take this stuff to your brothers who are on the battlefront. He was young and inexperienced. And his confidence was not in the, tradi- in the traditional ways of warfare, were they? He used different methods. I'm not saying that they didn't use slings in warfare. It's a very good possibility that they did. But what Saul tried to fit him with was his armor. Put this armor on, take my shield, take my, my sword, and go meet that guy. David didn't want to use that. He said, I, I, can't, I can't use this. I'm, I'm not used to this. So he didn't use the traditional ways of warfare, did he? David wasn't shaken by Goliath's taunts, but approached the battle, his number one resource, his trusty confidence in Yahweh. You thought I was going to say sling, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but his trusty confidence in Yahweh. That's what he approached the battle with. It wasn't, that was, that's all it was, is his confidence in Yahweh. What's amazing about this is, you know, they had been against one another, the Israelites and, and the Philistines for quite some time. And they just playing this game. Goliath would throw out these insults. And so they were just trying to figure out who's going to go up, stand up against Goliath. You know, David didn't have to spend months preparing for this battle. 
He didn't have to get his mind and his body right to get fit for the battle. Think about that. You know, typically, if you're going to go up against somebody, especially if you're not a warrior already, you're going, to, you're going to spend some time getting prepared, aren't you? You're going to get your head right. You're going to get your body right. You're going to study the enemy. But he didn't have to do all that because he had been doing that while he was tending his father's sheep. He had been in touch with the Heavenly Father. He had spoken to the Heavenly Father. His mind and heart was right, right where it needed to be. So this up-and-coming warrior, he writes his psalms, the words of Psalm 23. Now remember, this is, the name of this is the warrior and the poet. Now Psalm 23 was probably written as David was running from Saul. But I guarantee you, David had these words in his heart and his mind already when he faces it. We're going to read through this if you want to follow along. It says, Yahweh is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Here's this young, he's a shepherd. David is the shepherd, and he's fixing to cross a threshold into being a warrior. Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. My shepherd, he, he, he's, he's saying this from a sheep's perspective. He's been tending to these sheep, and he's been knowing how he's been treating this sheep. So he's, he's, he's saying this from a sheep's perspective. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And he leads me besides quiet waters. I wonder if these words went through David's mind as he was approaching Goliath. It says, he restores my soul and he guides me through paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How did, how did David approach Goliath? He says, I come to you in the name of Yahweh. That's how I come to you. For your namesake, I come, I come to you in the name of Yahweh. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if I'm a sheep and all I see is rocks, I see no water, that's the valley of shadow of death. I will not fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, David wasn't beating the sheep when he's trying to get them to pasture. He was... He was, he was moving them around, gently coaxing them to go toward, toward the pasture, toward the water. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, and my cup it overflows. Now look at these words. These are very poetic, very deep words that we're reading right here. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. You know, David, he did not, I guarantee you, he did not approach Goliath thinking, I hope this works out. I, I hope I can take him. You know, David had total confidence. It never even crossed his mind, I might not make it out this one. He had total confidence in the Heavenly Father that he was going to succeed in his mission. Just like the challenges we face today, maybe we're not facing a giant of a man on the battlefield, but we definitely face giants of another sort. What are some of the challenges that we face today? One of them is 
the notion that we have to conform to the culture around us and be inclusive to everyone to the point of participating in wickedness. They want us to be, and if, if that doesn't happen, what happens? We get these insults, just like Goliath. The enemy taunts us and says, you're homophobic. The enemy, the enemy, 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 the enemy taunts us and says, hey, you're a bigot. What you're doing is a hate crime. We're told to distance ourselves from the characteristics that are inherent in men and women, which are designed by our Creator. The characteristics that are in you and me both, that the Heavenly Father put in us as men and women, we're to distance ourselves from those. Those are outdated. They're not in style anymore. We're told that evil is good and good is evil. We told you that the holy is profane, and what is profane should be esteemed highly. This constant bombardment from the feminist movement has produced confused men and women. We see it all the time. Men who will not take a stand on anything. Men who have lost their sense of protection, righteous judgment, and their drive. It's ironic that this story is mostly about David, but I couldn't help but pass up the story about Uriah. Uriah, you know the story about David and Bathsheba? Bathsheba was Uriah's husband, wife. There we go. Told you, here I go. There's that monkey, that third monkey, going up that ramp. (laughs) Anyhow, Uriah was Bathsheba's husband. You know, and he wasn't an Israelite. It says he, he was a Hittite. Now, how he got enlisted in Israel's army, I'm not exactly sure. But he was fighting with Israel. He was fighting, wasn't his native country, it wasn't his native people. He was fighting with Israel. And we know the story that David brings Uriah home from the, from the battlefront. He brings him home because he's already gotten Bathsheba pregnant. He brings Uriah home. He says, maybe, maybe he's, he's got this plot and this scheme. Maybe... Uriah will go with his, go see his wife, and it'll look like this child to be born is Uriah's and not mine. So he's got a pretty good plan going on. <clears throat> so David brings him home and tells him, David asks Uriah about the battlefront. How's it going out there? How, you know, how's everything going? He says, go home. Go be with your family. Go be with your wife. Clean yourself up. Go be with your wife. Uriah leaves, doesn't he? And he stays at the king's door. You know, even though Uriah was listed in another army, not his native people, he had a sense of duty about him. He doesn't go home to be with his wife. And he tries this like two other times. Uriah never goes. When David asks him, what, what is up with you? He responds in 2 Samuel eleven eleven. Uriah tells David, the king, the Hittite, tells David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my master Joab and his servants are in the open field on the battlefront. Shall I go to my house and eat and drink and be with my wife? He's like he's telling David, don't you know we're in a battle? Can't you see we're in a battle? I have a duty. My comrades are in the trenches. 
Now's not the time to be at ease. It seems as if Uriah could have written 2 Timothy 2.4, where it says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Uriah wasn't entangled. David realizes he's not going to win this, this battle with Uriah. It's very strange that he writes this letter to Joab and he gives Uriah's death sentence to be delivered by Uriah in his own hand. If Uriah would look like peaked, he looked and said, man, that, I'm not delivering this. They're trying to kill me. You know, but David sends Uriah's death sentence by Uriah's own hand. So he might be killed. So what's the point in all this? The point is, during the time of battle, David wasn't in the fight, was he? He stayed home. And he had to deal with the consequences of staying home the rest of his life. On the other hand, you have a foreigner who understood the circumstances on the battlefront, and he would not rest until the battle was won. That's kind of strange. David stayed home. We have stayed home through generations past and think, now this is just a fad, maybe it'll just go away. And we're paying for the consequences of staying home today. Now, I will say that I am very blessed to be surrounded with some warriors here. I consider it a privilege. And it's a blessing. But we have a bunch of up-and-coming young men. And sometimes when you're in the fight, you get tired. We get weary. You want to rest. It's just past week, uh, celebrated the anniversary the D-Day invasion. And as I was going in my truck, I would hear different stories, different prayers that different presidents have, have prayed, different speeches. It is amazing the sacrifice that these people paid. Why was it? Why did they, why such the big fuss? They realized an evil. They, they was able to, to see the evil and they, they went to extinguish that evil. What if they had lost that battle? Or what if they didn't go at all? Where would we be today? Men lost, lost many lives. Mothers lost many sons. Wives lost many husbands. Children lost many fathers. For the good of the world. So what battles have we lost? There are all these generations. What battles have we lost? Why is it that abortion is legal? A very small minority. Why is it that, that they've got the upper hand? Maybe we wasn't on the battlefront. Why is prayer and Bible reading and the posting of the Ten Commandments banned in many public places today. I keep hearing this is a small minority who wants to do all this stuff. 
I keep hearing that. But why is it happening? Maybe because the warriors are not on the battlefront. Why are people punished for participating and not making a stand against the LBTQ agenda? Why is this happening? Because life is pretty easy, as we know it. I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Life is pretty easy. We're not on the battlefront. I'm not saying everybody, I'm not, I'm not painting with a broad brush here. There's many people. There's, there's people all over that are, that are working hard. But I'm talking about this has happened in the 60s and the 50s. And we're paying for the consequences. Just like, just like David, we're paying for these consequences today in a big time way. The, the, the enemy has got a, a foothold, a stranglehold. This is how we have lost so much ground. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Samuel 12, starting with verse 1. Talking about David here. It says, Then Yahweh sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, tells him this story. He said, There's two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he bought and he nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his, or his herd to prepare, to, to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against this man. And he said to Nathan, As Yahweh lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. And he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and he had no compassion. David, his righteous indignation was, was stirred up, wasn't it? He said, this is, this is ridiculous. This, this should never have happened. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Can you imagine those words? When you know what you've done, you've committed adultery, you've lied, you've plotted this scream, uh, the scheme, and you've had a man killed. And to hear the prophet say, you are this man. That had to cut David to the heart. That had to kind of let all the air out, didn't it? All this zeal and all this righteous indignation that he had, it's like, whoa. He says, you are this man. And he goes on in verse 7. This is Yahweh Elohim of Israel. It is I who anointed you to be king over Israel. And it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of Yahweh by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah, the Hittite, with the sword, taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of Ammon. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. 
I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. He shall lie with them, your wives, in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it in secret, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. There's a key word right here, though. And David said, I have sinned against Yahweh. I have sinned. It's not enough just to be cut to the heart and realize I've been found out. We have to repent. A genuine repentance. I have sinned against Yahweh. Nathan, and David knows that he just said that this man needs to die. He knows that. He, it was his very words. This man needs to die for taking this you lamb. Indeed, you didn't secretly. I, I have, verse 13, I have sinned against Yahweh. And Nathan said to David, Yahweh has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Yahweh has taken his sin away. David had a genuine, repentant heart. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just words to David. He had a genuine, repentant heart. David and his, and his men, they were fierce in battle, wasn't they? You can read about it, and it's just amazing some of the things. These were genuine warriors. But he wasn't the stereotypical man. <clears throat> the tough guy that would, the old Clint Eastwood of type, that would never cry, that couldn't be touched emotionally. He wasn't that type, was he? Psalm 119, 136, it says, David says, My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep thy law. Jeremiah 9, 1, it says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Have we ever cried because people are not keeping his law? Has it, has it, has it crushed us? Are, are we, are we, have we ever wept tears because of the aborted babies, the slain of the daughter of my people? This warrior cried, he cried out. He's the one who wrote all these beautiful psalms that we love to read. I remember back in, uh, I was in my late 20s, early 30s. See, I had this, this mentality that tough guys don't cry. And I, the, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he made me aware. Now, I, I, I went to services kept the Sabbath, I ate kosher, I did all these things, but my heart was hard, you know, I, and, and I could not cry. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let it happen. I would not let, let a tear come from me. And I actually prayed that I could cry. That's kind of weird, isn't it? That is really strange. It's even weird for me to even say that. Now, I don't enjoy just crying, okay? But I'm, I'm, I will tell you that there's a cleansing. When you, when you share tears, not tears because your friend dies. That's normal tears, okay? When you shed tears because you see, like this week, the awesome rainbow. Now, I didn't cry on this one. But, <laughs> but when you see this awesome rainbow, and immediately I don't think of the homosexual agenda. 
what do I think of? I think of, the, I think of, of Noah as like the first time he saw this in the world. Isn't that the coolest thing? And Yahweh gives him this promise that I'm never going to destroy the world by flood again. Never going to destroy it by water. Can you imagine Noah just being there on, on that boat and just seeing it for the very first time? It was a cool. It was, it was, what was cool about this one this week, there was a double, okay? But it was very bright. It was, most of the time they're kind of faded, you know? But this one was so distinct and so bright. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. But I could not cry. I couldn't cry when, when the Holy Spirit tried to... I had a hard heart. It was a calloused heart. Even though I was supposedly doing all these right things, my heart really wasn't in the right place. I thought that showed strength. I thought that was how men were supposed to be. So what's David's profile? He was a fierce... He was a mighty warrior, a mighty man of valor, a man who could see his mistakes and say, I have sinned and mean it from the heart. I have sinned. I am wrong. A man who wasn't so war hardened that he couldn't cry. A man who would seek counsel from Yahweh and from his advisors. A lot of times we don't want to seek counsel, do we? I got this. I don't, I don't, want, I don't need anybody else to tell me. I, I, can, I can figure this out. A man who could write these poetic songs that we are still reading today. And we love to read them. This was the warrior and the poet. You know what though? David was not on his own. Exodus 15.3, it says Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Isaiah 42, 13 says, Yahweh will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry and he will prevail against his enemies. There's two sides here. There's only, there's no neutral ground. There's two sides. We're going to be on the side of victory or we're going to be on the side of defeat. We know the end of the story, don't we? Yeshua, the same way, in his righteous indignation, he's one minute, he's over there turning over tables and running these animals out of the temple. It's like he kind of lost his... We, we have this mentality of Yeshua, just this meek little guy who, who... That's not how he was. That is absolutely not how he was. He was throwing over these tables. Then you see him later crying out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. He's using this, this wording, as a hen gathers his chicks, but you wouldn't have it. You wouldn't have no part of it. The lion and the lamb. Quite extreme differences for one person, isn't it? You've heard of, of lion heart. You know, you've heard, you've heard of that, that phrase. Yeshua was the lion and the lamb. Ex- extreme differences in character, which completes a perfect Savior. 
a savior. He's, an, he's a warrior. He would set a little child on his knee and talk to him. Just a little child, set him on his knee, and then turn around and face the most horrific death anyone can face. Why did he do that? Because he could see down the road the consequences for humanity if he didn't take care of that. He could see that. He could see further down that if I don't do this, there's no hope for humanity. Yahshua is the perfect example of how we're supposed to think and how we're supposed to act and live. His example really doesn't line up with old or new stereotypes, does it? But his life doesn't fit the definition that, that the feminist movement would have for us either. We have plenty of examples of how we're supposed to treat our fellow man, how to love our neighbor, examples of how to treat our wives and children, to love them as Yahshua loved the church and he gave himself up for it. He gave himself up for his people all over the world for thousands of generations. We need warriors today. There's battles that, that, that are waging right now. And we need warriors. <clears throat> the battle for good and evil has been going on since the beginning of time. And it's not gonna it's not gonna go away until the end of time. The King of Kings, he will lead us, and he will rule with the rod of iron, it says. Revelation 17 speaks in verse 5, it says, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And then it drops down to verse 14. It says, they will wage war against the lamb. That ought to be pretty easy. Anybody can wage war against the lamb. Kicking the head is gone, you know? But he will wage war with the lamb. And the lamb will overcome them because he is king of kings. And those who are with him will be called faithful and chosen. The lamb, one of the weakest animals, is going to overcome, isn't it? The lamb and the lamb ask, will you join the ranks in fighting the abominations of the earth? Will we shed a tear because of the abominations of his people? We need warriors, not what culture portrays them to be, not what they're trying to to warp and to homogenize everybody into being, but men who will fiercely defend the things that are true and the things that are right. Fiercely defend those things. Men who can cry like David and Jeremiah and Yahshua for the sins of our nation that we've allowed to happen and for what the church has compromised throughout the years, throughout the ages. Now, like I said again, I'm, I'm so glad to be a part and surrounded by men who are standing strong. We have a very unique situation here, men who are strong in faith. But we have up-and-coming youngsters who will need to have this spirit, who need to learn how to, how to fight warfare. It reminds me of an old Petra song. Petra is a Christian rock group years ago. One of the, 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 the lyrics in one of their songs says, Get on your knees and fight like a man. You'll pull down strongholds if you just believe you can. 
There's a time to get on our knees. There's a time to pray. There's a time to cry. There's a time to war. God bless.